This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, our music director, Alain Trudel, also principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, and the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny. We have a nice full house today, and everybody here... Uh, that's uh, really nice to have everybody sitting right here in the studio. I'm, I'm not looking at you, Elaine, because you've been on the phone the last couple of times. But, <laughs> it's but, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's nice to have you with us. So today we're talking about uh, a concert that's happening this weekend. It's at the uh, Peristyle Friday and Saturday evening, March 15th and 16th, 8 o'clock p.m., this is uh, called The Majestic Sea, and it's lots of wonderful music that is inspired by the sea and by the ocean. Some of it you know, some of it you may not know as well. So this concert is going to be a, a point of departure for our discussion today. We decided to talk about uh, some undiscovered pieces. You know, the sea and the ocean evokes a uh, kind of deep, dark mystery, and uh, that's something that translates well into music, especially with some of the pieces that are on this concert. But we're going to talk about some other pieces that we know, that we love, that maybe not everybody else knows and loves. And so we hope to maybe share some of that with our listeners today. And uh, we'll also put some of these into a Spotify playlist. So when you go check out the podcast on our website at wgte.org slash lab, you'll find that playlist there as well if you want to investigate some of the music further. But first of all, let's talk about uh, some of the music that's on this program that's happening this weekend. Elaine, you are conducting. Yes. There's also a wonderful singer coming in to join us. Yes. So why don't you take it take it from here and tell us about the concert. Okay, so we our point of departure was of course uh, La Mer by uh, Claude Debussy. Uh, but uh, in our and our constant uh, will to find uh, American repertoire that's from ne not necessarily only pieces that are in the last 20 years, but maybe pieces that are at least 100 years old and see what, what's there and what was a standard at that time, but that people have kind of forgotten about. And, uh, we found this wonderful piece by Adley, and it's called The Ocean. So, of course, we thought, well, this is wonderful. I went to discover a little bit more about him. Um it's really interesting because he was a, an incredibly important musician in America, and I, you know, we don't really talk about him all that much now. Yeah. So, I mean, he was uh, he, he was uh, founding uh, with the San Francisco Symphony. He was in New York conducting mm -hmm. the Met and then conducting the the Symphony. He was uh, somebody very important. He, stu he studied composition with Richard Strauss, and actually, he, he wrote a, a lot of symphonic poems. Right, the stories yeah, like that. Yeah. So well, it's interesting. Nice. I I didn't know the connection between Strauss and and Henry Hadley. Mm. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense because he wrote these fantastic sweeping tone poems. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he was very inspired by that. Actually, he wrote, he didn't know that Strauss, when he came back to America, he didn't know that Strauss was working on Salome and he wrote oh, a yes. symphonic poem on <laughs> Salome <laughs> just, just before the other. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one Poor copied. Strauss. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a wonderful piece. Nobody ever piece. said that. Poor Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a wonderful piece. So they're the bookend of the concert. Um, we also have, as you mentioned, a wonderful singer. Her name is Michelle Lozier. And she uh, she is singing, actually, right after she's coming to sing with us, she's singing La Scala de Milano. And uh, that's going to be our big debut there. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, now we're that's happening after she sings in Toledo, right? Yeah. So I just want to so, point out what yeah. comes first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Toledo comes yeah. first, definitely. Well, you know, 
she, she got La Scala to fill the rest of her month uh, yeah. after singing with us. For people good. who don't know, La Scala <laughs> is this tiny little opera house, you know, in, the, in Milan, <laughs> Italy, that nobody ever, you know, has, has sung at before. And, Does sarcasm yeah. translate well on the radio? No, it's no. not working. <laughs> it's not an working. amazing, amazing, wonderful <laughs> debut. Incredibly important for her. She will be singing uh, Poème de l'amour et de la mer by Ernest Chausson. Can you translate that for yeah, us? Yes, of course. It's the poem of the love and of the sea. Um, it has to do more with love that's lost, uh, and uh, it's it's very deep music. I mean, that's it's going to be nice because you know the the Adley has a lot of colors and it's very exciting, mm-hmm. and uh, the Debussy is basically all colors and the impressionist uh, mm-hmm. painting of the sea. But this is very concrete because we have the words she's uh, that that she's telling us the story, and it's a bit darker uh, uh, music a little bit, even though the the the, the harmony is very, of course, uh, yeah. at the time very French, but the 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 idea behind it is, is is dark a little bit. It's very personal. You know the the kind of uh, poem that uh, Maurice uh, uh, Beauchamp uh, wrote on it. And we're completing the program with uh, for the fans of uh, movies like Twilight. Uh, we're playing Claire de Lune, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if you saw the Godzilla trailer, right? <laughs> I want to go back and talk briefly about the Ernest Chausson because mm-hmm. he, he this is a French composer who wrote so yeah. many beautiful songs. Mm-hmm, I don't know sure. if you're aware of his song repertoire, but mm-hmm. just some fantastic songs. He died fairly young in an accident. A oh, horrible, yes. horrible a accident. bicycle accident. Yeah. Yes. I think he's a very, very underrated composer, and I think no. his, I mean, we'll be talking about underrated or un- undiscovered composers shortly, and I think Chausson would have probably qualified. His True. poem for violin mm-hmm. is one of my favorite yeah. pieces. It's just so incredibly beautiful. That's yeah. on my list of, of underappreciated gems. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because it's French color, which is not as dark uh, color-wise as German music, but the harmony mm-hmm. is very much inspired by Wagner always uh, uh, in in those, as well as uh, if you take a composer like Duparc, uh, who also wrote a lot of beautiful melodies around the yeah. same time. But uh, the, there's a and, and César Franck, who's, of course, he's not French; he's Belgian, but whatever. But but but, but they're, they're, <laughs> just like Hercule Poirot. Yeah, <laughs> there was a fa- <laughs> no, but there was a fascination of a you know all the, the 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 harmonic structure that that Wagner brought because Wagner lived in Paris for quite a while uh, when when those people were there also. Well, the one piece that we haven't mentioned that is on the program, and that is uh, Debussy's La Mer, which is you know kind of the the quintessential ocean. Yeah. You want to talk about that yes, for us? Absolutely. Um, what's interesting about Debussy is that it's, you know, I think La Mer uh, is kind of the beginning of what they called more, uh, not modern music, but another era of music where um, until then the the message, like the melody, the idea, the thematic uh, material, like da na 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 na, was the message. But with Debussy and especially with La Main, it's like the media is the message. So the the colors that you have, how you mm-hmm. treat the the notes, everything that's there, is actually more of the message than actual actual themes. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're beautiful themes, and but really, it's the colors, how you present it. And that, that that's the beginning of that whole school that went throughout the 20th yeah, century. I was going to say that's that that was like the opening up for uh, all the other composers that absolutely, came after. Absolutely, all the way to spectral music, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very interesting that, and this is a point of departure because he also, you know, and colors. And wanting in specific colors, he will do things that uh, people would say is wrong in the harmony, quote-unquote wrong, like as a successive fifths and things like that. But he wanted to to paint a picture. So yeah. it's music that you can actually 
almost taste and see, you know? Than, well, than you just hear it now, to. you don't realize how revolutionary it was. Oh. I mean, even even like you quoted Beethoven briefly. Yeah. When you think of Beethoven, you certainly don't realize how revolutionary Beethoven was in his age, mm-hmm. in his day and age. But Debussy really completely liberated the idea of harmony yeah. from melody, separated the two. And, and uh, boy, what, a, what an impression it must have made on audiences at the time. I think some people, I, you know, it's either you love it or you hate it, I guess, at that time. <laughs> well, it, it's like you said, I mean, uh, if we were in those days, we wouldn't have heard all the music that we've heard between, uh, you know, then and now, of course. So it would be like a Beethoven, like Third Symphony, the, the Eureka. We'd be shocked at going like, oh, what's happening? There's a mistake. And oh, no, they're, co- oh, they're coming back again. And, and even the fifth. I mean, it's, it's very something that, uh, that, that's so special because people didn't hear and all, all that they knew is what was before. It's difficult for mm-hmm. us to understand because we live in an era where we've tried, we've went so many directions in music that we're actually coming back to a, more of a melodic uh, way of, of writing music, which is, you know, the, the, I don't mind the, the, the different experiments. What uh, personally, the only thing that I mind in, in uh, musical currents sometimes is the dogmatism. Mm-hmm. You know, like a uh, Darmstadt School of Music, which I, the Darmstadt School is like Boulez, Stockhausen, uh, Xenakis. Yeah. I, I really like some of their works, absolutely. But it's just saying that, you know, this is right, the other are wrong. And that, for me, in music, there's not a right, there's not a wrong. It's not just in music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Can pretty I, much everything <laughs> in life. Can I ask a question here? Because yeah. when I think about Debussy and I think about uh, some of the words that you've been using, Alain, to describe mm-hmm. this, there's uh, painting, you mentioned uh, impressionism. Like yeah, so it, there, there's, the, I'm sure there are other examples of this, but it, it's a rare moment, I feel like, where the music and the art movement were so hand in glove. Mm. And did were that, they in tandem? Were they at the same time? Um, always art. I always feel like visual art precedes, bit, predates yeah. music. They were ahead by bit, maybe probably, 20 yeah, years. 20 years. But yeah. does that lay the groundwork for the sense of uh, the disconnection between melody and harmony? Or as I've heard Debussy's music sometimes described, all harmony and no melody. Yeah. Um, does that, does that, um, that very successful art movement make these you know, parallel fifths less revolutionary well i mean i don't think so i mean generally what happened what you see happening with the art movement is the school of artists and this technique of art coming out that is kind of put in a you know in a box by the art critics or whoever it is that is deciding what is what and they say oh these were the impressionist painters or these mm-hmm. are the sambalists mm-hmm. or these yeah. are you know all these different movements that take place and then they tended to look at musicians and composers and try to put the same you know tag on mm-hmm. them so Debussy being lumped in with the impressionists you know mm-hmm. and think of Debussy's music as the uh, the the oral equivalent of you know a Monet or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think it made it easier for people to uh, interpret his music and mm-hmm. to assimilate it and that to accept sense. it. It was a, it was a way for them to try to you know classify it and categorize it. A, mm-hmm. As I understand it, Debussy himself did not like being you know uh, tagged or ID'd mm-hmm. as anything he didn't want to be an impressionist he just wanted to do something different and something yeah. new which he certainly did yeah. but i mean you can you can see the relationship between the kind of fuzziness of, of uh, paintings of impressionist painters and the and the fuzziness of debussy's mm-hmm music right the way that he kind of smeared the harmonies mm-hmm. on the canvas but then when you step back and you see the bigger picture like 
it, it all comes together. And I, I yeah. think that's the same experience. You have to, with you have to take your glasses off when you yeah. <laughs> step back and, you know, squint a little bit. I do think that it does really um, validate an entirely different type of listening. Like if you're listening to a Beethoven symphony or a Brahms symphony, it's always valuable to kind of, oh, this sounds like it's important. I'm going to try to keep this Mm -hmm. in mind as it goes forward. And, oh, here it is. It came back again. That's really interesting. And then you kind of have this sort of like, you know, it's almost like you're trying to follow the plot. But with Debussy, you don't need to do that. There's a a kind of the... it's really interesting in the same way that sometimes you step up really close to an impressionist painting. Mm-hmm. It's great to just sometimes just, ooh, what, how is he getting this sound? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what instruments are doing that? What, why, why are one set of violins doing just a plain, like plain bowing and others are going really, really quickly? And then there's, you can just ignore all of that and decide, okay, I just want to lean back and see what this feels like if I close my eyes. Yeah. And it, it really validates both of those approaches in a way you don't have to follow the plot with WC in the same way that you do with Beethoven or Brahms. Well, it wash yeah. over you. Absolutely. There, there are lots of different um, advantages to hearing music like this performed live, and, and there are lots of different kind of ways that you can really uh, enjoy a live performance like when you're listening to a Brahms symphony yes there's a lot of you know a lot of rousing music that you can really get into and get swept away with and when you're listening to Debussy it really activates the imagination it's mm-hmm. like a, a, a cinema experience without mm-hmm. you know the the visual element although you mentioned you know violins sawing away yeah. there is a visual element there that the symphony does but just the ability to experience it live in an auditorium that that is Again, it's a level of trust, whereas an audience member, you, you're putting yourself in the hands of, you know, Alain Trudel <laughs> and the symphony. But by the same token, you don't have to prepare, as Merwin says. You can just let it mm-hmm. let it go and enjoy the magnificent sounds that, that are yeah. so imaginative. It, the, the, but there, it's easy to think that Debussy writes pretty soft, um, uh, pale blue music. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff at the end of La Mer, especially that is not pale blue and mm-hmm. it is not soft. It's it's great and fiery. So it's cool, uh, yeah. it's grand. Um, and and for me, this is that piece that always surprises me, even though I've heard it so many times. Yeah. I remember when I first heard a recording with um, it was uh, Toscanini and uh, NBC Symphony. Um, the ending just overwhelmed the recording capabilities at the time. <laughs> you know, oh, no. It was just like, wow, they, these guys are flying. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just, a, I'm so excited to hear it. Yeah. So at the end of La Main, um, it, it was premiered at the same time as Tosca was premiered in, mm-hmm. in Paris. And there's a, a line in the, just, just before it went, when it's a ta-da, 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 and then it, and it starts, it gets faster and faster, but just before the end. Yeah. And, uh, and then there comes a point where the orchestra, you hear it when the orchestra, it goes down. And you say, oh, it's good. Is there something missing? And, and actually, there's a line that's been taken out. And and there was a trumpet line that goes, and the BC went to hear Tosca, and he went like, whoa, it's the same line. It's exactly the same. And of course, I mean, it's not like they knew each other. Like yeah. they, they, they would you know, tell him, say, oh, you, did you write this? So he just went in and took that line out. It, it's sort of oh, like when you know the two girls show up to prom in the same dress. And <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we could talk about La Mer, I mean, for 
for for hours. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's pivot a little bit here and talk about this idea of undiscovered pieces. You know, the ocean, the deep dark sea, bringing up uh, kind of mysterious, the unknown, and and we're going to go with that right now. And everybody has brought in. Uh, some pieces that they want to put out there as uh, possibly not being all that well-known, but that they think should be heard. And so, you know, I think we should just go around the room. Let's start with you, Merwin, because you sent me a a whole big, long list of stuff. And and we should mention these are uh, classical selections. Mm -hmm. We're not choosing, you know, anything outside the realm, except for Alain, because he always has a little jazz on on whatever list that we... Oh, it's (laughs) true. But that's okay. That's okay. But Merwin, you got a lot of stuff here. You want to pick just uh, some of the highlights of your list for us? Sure. I think um, for some reason uh, I really have always loved the music of Gretzina Bisevich, um, Polish violinist. Uh, I've never heard of that yeah, composer. Um, she, she wrote a wonderful um, concerto for, it's almost like a concerto grosso, really, um, for strings. And she she was a violinist at the time who was competing against David Oistrakh at mm-hmm. that, so that level of violinist, a yep. very, very uh, p- a powerful violinist. But I've, I first um, heard her music um, when uh, my high school teacher um, was looking for music for four violins, which there's not that much chamber music for them, mm-hmm. but she had written this piece. And it just had the most unusual harmonies. And so I've always kind of had a soft spot for her music. And this particular um, concerto, for it's like a string quartet solo in orchestra. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful piece of music. Nice. And, just, um, and I highly encourage people to seek her out. I think maybe, you know... Uh, I'd like to highlight a Canadian composer, Armory Schaefer. Mm. Um, uh, d- d- just uh, he's not Armory Schaefer; it's R, like uh, R, the letter R. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, oh, R Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Armory was like. A little... <laughs> I like that we all heard something different. Yeah. Yes, um, and that's exactly what happens with Schaefer's music. No, <laughs> uh, but he, I will say that he dared greatly. And um, created these sonic environments. He created an opera, which you basically can only listen to at a particular solstice outside. (laughs) (laughs) And the arrival of the main character is the timed sunrise with and the singing of the birds. Um, And it's just so audacious, but it's incredibly yeah. effective. And he wrote... Um, That's a case of making sure that your work is never performed, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's performed once a year. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but he wrote a wonderful string quartet, which um, captures the sense of wolves in an incredible way. Like, it's just somehow you're able to, like, sense both, like, the the idea of pack animals and howling and, like, chasing and hunting. It's an amazing piece of music. Wow. And he, I mean, he'll he'll try anything. He wrote this um, quartet, uh, no, I'm sorry, this choral piece for um, children's choir where he asked all of these kids to submit words that describe how the moon sounds. Interesting. And th- hmm. those are the those are the words to to this piece. These made up words that kids sent in, and mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. Wow. That's great. We so, should do something like that. Well, we're making Carl up words all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, Felicia. What have you got? You had at least a couple of pieces that you sent my way. Yes, right? and I think I waffled <laughs> a little bit when sending those pieces because immediately I thought of composers that we 
we know for uh, various pieces. For instance, Holst, mm-hmm. we know him because of the planets. Right. Um, but there's a whole another side of him that um, that a lot of people don't realize that he also composed for for band music as well, like military suites. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to Gustav Holst before I even dove into the orchestral scene. I, I remember in high school band, I was very excited <laughs> to play um, the oboe solo <laughs> in the second uh, military suite in right. F. Um, it's gorgeous. Uh, it was a second movement. And then um, the pieces also include a lot of uh, folk songs that he's gathered over time right. and um, put them together. And uh, in the E-flat suite, he has this beautiful trio of instruments. It's um, it's flute, oboe, clarinet, and it's uh, it's just a really sweet melody in the middle of this chaconne. So right. um, a lot of people might know him for his, you know, the planets and other larger works like that, but um, there's another side, which is the band side. Why do I want to say that Holst was a trombonist? Does that make sense? Because he was. He was. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. The perfect fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of a piece. You're not talking it's, to me, right? No, no, yeah. It's, it's a piece by Holst. I thought you were speaking yeah, yeah. about all trombonists. <laughs> it's a really yeah. inefficient instrument, don't you think? <laughs> Elgar also was a trombonist, but Elgar was a really, really bad trombonist. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I have a little story about Holst if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, there's a place. Um, Hold on a second. <laughs> oh. He's dancing. Okay. Now he has a dance to go with his... There's Please make it on. stop. Walk Please on, make it stop. <laughs> Let's hear the joke. I mean the story. The <laughs> joke. I, I, for, for some time I was a um, uh, musical advisor at the Manitoba Chamber Orchestra, which is in Winnipeg in, in Canada. And th- there's a, a very um, interesting woman called Nicola who was there who used to drive me everywhere. And I, she was just this, you know, not, not a musician in the band, but... She's just uh, a volunteer. And then she told me, she's quite old. And, and she told me, oh, yes, you guys are playing holes. This we were doing one of the suites. And uh, she told me, oh, I remember he came to my school. She was from, originally from England. And he would go and, and he would conduct the, the girls. Cause like, you know, the St. Paul suite? Yeah. This, the school it's dedicated to? Well, that's, she's from there. Oh wow! And, 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 and they, the school for girls in London. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he went to conduct, and when they did the when they did that piece, he, he told me we just conducted, and he fell off the stage. Oh. <laughs> so he's a wow. little goofy trombone player composer. <laughs> he taught at a girls' school. Is that the yeah. same one? Yeah. 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 Zach, what do you got for us? So, uh, not a surprise, perhaps. Uh, uh, there is a piece by Mahler on my list. Um, a piece by Martucci and a piece by Cacciatorian. So um, uh, Mahler uh, wrote a piano quartet, which we performed last year on the Chamber Series, uh, but it's this dark, early work, uh, very brooding, uh, which I love listening to. And um, if anybody didn't come to that concert or hasn't heard it before, uh, I would love <laughs> th- nothing more than to introduce it to you. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so different from his symphonies. It's kind of amazing to think about what um, you can do when you take a composer who wrote for so many down to so few. Uh, Giuseppe Martucci is an Italian composer, of course, uh, contemporary of Mahler's. And um, Toscanini, again, uh, to go back to Toscanini, was one of his great uh, advocates. And I, I always wondered, who is this guy who showed up on all of his programs? And um, he wrote some great symphonies. Um, he wrote uh, a piano concerto that's uh, pretty good, maybe a couple piano concertos. Um, but definitely picked up um, kind of a Wagnerian scene. But he has a piece called uh, 
uh, I'm going to butcher the Italian here, La Cazon, uh, Canzone uh, dei Ricordi, which is the song of memory. Remember it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a piece for soprano and orchestra, and it is gorgeous. At first, I thought you said the Calzone. I started right? saying Calzone. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear which my stomach rumbling. Yeah. I remember that Calzone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Calzone of memory. That sounds like something Rossini yeah. wrote towards the end of his life. <laughs> exactly. All kidding aside, though, it's just, it, it's one of those pieces that I've played for people who pretend that they don't like mm-hmm. classical music and why um, are you looking at I'm me just, <laughs> 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 so uh, but it, it, it's one of those pieces that makes everybody just kind of swoon a bit it's just it's beautiful so um, uh, that would be number two number three is uh, a piece that we performed when I was a, a teenager in Toledo uh, and I'd love to see again is the Cacciatore on Piano Concerto oh yeah. yeah yeah that's a great piece it's fiery and flashy and brassy in all the right ways. Yeah. yeah. We're going to turn it over to you, Elaine, to, to finish out the program today. Who are your undiscovered composers and pieces? Well, I, I don't know if they're undiscovered composers, but uh, I have uh, I have a few. I, I won't go maybe too extensively because I'd rather name more than that. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you know Joseph Souk. Of course, uh, Souk had yeah, many violinist. great violinists in, yeah. in that family, but Joseph was a composer. I uh, lived the um, same time, more or less, as Dvorak, a little bit younger than Dvorak. And uh, he actually dedicated a symphony, it's called Azrael Symphony, uh, to Dvorak uh, after Dvorak passed away, mm-hmm. a few, many about a year after they premiered that symphony, dedicated to him. This is a symphony that's not played very often. It's uh, it, it has those dark color of the, you know, turn of the century in, in uh in that region, the Austro-Hongrois uh, section of the world, that uh, they all had the, the idea that it was the end of the old world, and they have that kind of, of uh, flavor to it that's very nice. I really like a thing that's called, it's by Jean Sebastian Bach. It's nothing mm-hmm. that people don't know, because one, uh, it's the partitas for violin and uh, um, the chaconne. But uh, some years ago, uh, there's a discovery that was made that, that they, uh, they actually all fit with different chorales and different parts. It's like people found the last piece of the puzzle to put all of this together. And the Hilliard Ensemble did a recording of those chorales with a solo violinist playing the partita. And it's amazing. So you're saying that the, the partita actually lines up with Absolutely. the chorale. Yeah. So they could be played together. And the chorales mean different things. It's like a, it's really a, a, a kind it's like of... the Bach a, crossword a, puzzle. It's kind a, of a mystery a little bit. But yeah. you discover more about the intention behind it and the life behind it. It's re- And that recording is amazing. It's so really interesting. Nice. Yeah. What, what is it called? Uh, uh, more Muir. More Muir. More Muir. Um, okay, you said I always have a little bit of jazz. There's a <laughs> something by Coltrane, which yeah. is uh, called The Lost Album. It's an album that... Uh, Col- Coltrane is your Mahler. Like, Coltrane is to you what Mahler is to Zach. Oh, no, no, right? Mahler is to me what Mahler is to Zach. <laughs> 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 hey. Okay. D- don't worry about that. <laughs> don't change that. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, yeah. Coltrane is a musician. It's very close to my. But uh, yeah, my I've heard art. you talk about Coltrane. Absolutely, before. it's uh, an idol. It's a, uh, and the, what's interesting is that you know you have a, a period of his of his composing and playing that is more like uh, what people are used to hear bebop uh, kind of music, and then there's a departure, you know, that 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 goes into more spiritual awakening and and is playing and there's something missing like in the recordings of what he did there's a hole there in 1963 
And just recently, like uh, yeah. two years ago, those recordings were found. They were actually the the recording company was cleaning up their, <laughs> <laughs> and and they they just gave the some of those recording in the sixties with uh, to Naima as his first wife, and uh, and they they just rediscovered that she had those recordings in her wow. estate. And finally, there there's a lot of incredible music in that, and it creates the link between the his old style. And this development of more spiritual uh, playing, so that's that's really interesting. I have very few others. I have Hindemith that people often. I love Hindemith. Yeah, especially Matisse Dermala. It's a yeah. beautiful piece. And it's interesting you mentioned Matisse Dermala because I see so many correlations between Hindemith and and Bach. There are like references yeah. to, to Bach throughout that piece. Yeah, well, and Matisse Dermala also the the subject and the time uh, it's yeah. uh, not the time it's written, but the time it represents uh, is great. And Mahler I, again, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not spelled the same way. So, which, which means painter. Yeah, the painter, German, Matthias yeah. the painter. Yeah. But, but didn't Hindemith also virtually play every single instrument and he's like a phenomenal he, orchestrator he was because in, of that? Yeah, experience? but you know, there's lots of Except musicians. Kazoo. <laughs> right. That, that, there's lots of musicians that, that uh, and composers that were forgotten because they were called degenerate by the Nazi regime. So mm. had, they had uh, like Korngold, like Hindemith, like uh, Schulhoff. They had to, uh, they had to you know, uh, mm-hmm. save their, themselves and their family. So, you know, that that's why this great line of classical composer kind of stops at Strauss. And then after that, it goes in all many directions. Oh. But, you know, after Strauss would have been Korngold. I mean, it's uh, just yeah. a, a, we see him as a film composer, but mm-hmm. it's actually a great symphonic composer. Yeah. And Hindemith was interesting. I You either like or dislike Hindemith. It's not, there's not no middle ground. Uh, I, I, I think I you can learn a lot. Zach is putting but, up an X. No, but it, I think if you find the right pieces to introduce, yeah. uh, if you do Matisse Damala, it's a great piece. You don't want to go in things that are too, you know, um, uh, scholastic a little bit. Didn't you do the symphony here? We've done Matisse Damala. Yeah, yeah, I thought that's so. Absolutely, it's a yeah. great piece. That's beautiful. Anyway, yeah. is that it for your list? Oh, I one more maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Walton. Um, yes. Walton, Walton was Belshazzar's on, feast, right? Uh, there, there, no, no, that, that's your choice. Oh, wait. Oops. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's great. But uh, what for me? Uh, what's very interesting is I discovered that his first symphony. Well, I didn't discover it, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was it, floating uh, in the ocean. Yeah, Walton's first yeah, symphony. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Let, let me rephrase no you that. Like it. <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. <laughs> when I came across the, it's my wife actually who told me you should really do that symphony. Oh, so said, she discovered it then. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, she she had played it in some kind of touring orchestra somewhere in Europe, and and she told me you. Should should really think about that. Lots of brass on That's really, and I don't know. It's interesting. And uh, for me, because I said in the mid before, it's like it's like a mix of. It's like if you have a mix of in the mid and Rachmaninoff and the same person. It's very bizarre. Two things that don't really go together. Huh. But but the the his first symphony has a lot of that kind of breath of Rachmaninoff breath, but a lot of harmony like mm-hmm. like in the mid and. Uh, for me, it's just I, I really I really fell in love with it the first time I, I did it. And often when I go and conduct it at different places, they've never done it. Many orchestras, you show up there and they say, really? Oh, wow. You know, we did Facade, then we did the uh, other, of course, his shorter pieces because he wrote a lot for television. And But this is a great symphony. Okay. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that because we're running out of time. As it happens, uh, I want to remind uh, listeners that the concert is happening this weekend. It's Friday and Saturday evening, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Paris Style. Elaine Trudel conducting the Toledo Symphony along with guest mezzo Michel Lozier. 
We'll hear Henry Hadley's The Ocean, wonderful tone poem, also more ocean-themed music, Ernest Chausson's poem of the ocean and of love in the ocean. That's where Michelle Lozier comes in. She's singing that. And we also have Claire de Lune of Debussy, as well as Debussy's monumental tone poem, La Mer, or The Sea. Again, you can uh, get your tickets by calling up 419-246-8000. More information at ToledoSymphony.com. I want to thank everybody who came in today. Merwin Sue, Felicia Canny, Zach Vassar, and Alain Trudell. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org slash lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. I'm Brad Crestwell, and you've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.